Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the satanic films of the VHS era. Tonight, we are revisiting the land of AIP. This is a semi-sequel to our Elves episode, but this time we are talking about 1992's Mind, Body, and Soul, directed by that master of cinema of Hobgoblin's fame, Rick Sloan. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, you know, we're, we're going to skip the spiel this time. Uh, you, you can find 1992's Mind, Body, Ampersand, Soul on Tubi for free. But why? Why would anyone watch this? <laughs> uh, it, to own this, to just own this in any other medium is just in, inviting a curse into your life. Luke, do you own a physical copy of this film? I do. All right. Follow up question. Like, if you, when you keep this on your shelf, do you feel like there's a, a sort of reverse osmosis that makes everything around it look worse? <laughs> no, I think this is a fun one. I you don't think, think it, is... you don't think it sucks the quality out of the other films in your collection? No, I think this is fun. I think this is going to be a fun thing to talk about. All, all I'm saying is if you had told me in advance that this film was by the same guy that birthed Hobgoblins, I would have immediately shut this down. <laughs> I mean, in its defense, I think this is a pretty big step up from Hobgoblins. <laughs> that, I mean... It? Hobgoblins did not have any one of the caliber of Wingshauser. Okay, all right. I, I meet you there. His performance elevates the entire experience. I don't think it's... I, I don't think it's good enough to, to really save this film. But if you are going out of your way to watch Mind, Body, and Soul, you are doing it for Wingshauser's performance. I, I mean... So our main character is played by Ginger Lynn, credited as Ginger Lynn Allen. Um, she is of porn star fame. And uh, I don't think her performance is bad necessarily. There are some points where I find it odd and I, I perhaps question her decisions, but I don't think she's I don't think anyone is truly awful. No, uh, and I think what you're talking about is more of a problem with the script than her right than than her acting. Oh well, we'll get to those scenes, but the script is god awful. Yes, absolutely. Right. I think I think this is a good point to read the back of the box. Wow, we're getting to that early. Yeah, I, it's it's a fitting moment. Um, so. The the back of the box says, and it, it has a big AIP logo on the bottom, it says Ginger Lynn Allen and Wings Hauser star in this supernatural erotic thriller where a terrifying nightmare becomes a deadly reality. Brenda Carter finds her life crashing down around her when she discovers that her boyfriend belongs to a mysterious satanic cult. Suspected of committing unspeakable crimes, the evasive cult members are hunted by the police who secretly use Brenda as bait in order to capture them. 
Homeless, alone, and afraid, Brenda is comforted by a sharp-witted public defender, John Stockton. He offers her warmth and protection, but there is no escaping the dark forces that pursue her. Targeted as its next human sacrifice, Brenda must confront the cult's demonic god or be consumed by its power. That is way more grandiose than the actual film. Yeah, I almost feel like they didn't watch the movie. I mean, would you? <laughs> hey, I've watched this movie twice in the last two oh, weeks. I'm so sorry. But I will say the front of that box is, is kind of cool. Yeah, I like the front. The, it looks, uh, the, the box is, it looks very much like a 90s Skinamax flick. Right. Like, <laughs> yes, that, that's what it seems to be going for. And I guess Ginger Lynn Allen's presence um, doesn't dispel that notion. You know, I think she chose this as like her movie to break into mainstream film. She did go on to star and other stuff. I know. But why would I don't know. I feel like you could aim higher than starting with this. Like, if you think this is going to break you into the, the business. I haven't studied her career with uh, great enthusiasm, but she started in pornography start, and then transitioned to regular feature length films, eventually and, went back to pornography. Yeah. And then I think she had like some, you know, regular occurring roles in places, some voice acting. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think she did fine for herself. I watched a couple interviews with her and you know, what's, What's interesting about her is a lot of porn stars, especially now, really shy away from associating themselves with the industry, whereas she, in her interviews and everything, is very proud of her work in pornography. And she's like, look, I, I really like sex. I really have fun. I found like a home and a family in the porn industry. I know she was friends with Ron Jeremy or is friends with him. And uh, she said, I just, I was really comfortable in that world. Um, but in one of the interviews I watched, she was like, I would not be involved in it today. And I would not encourage people to get involved today. But when she was a part of it, she, she really did find it to be um, enjoyable. Did she explain why she wouldn't want to be a part of it today? Yeah, I mean, there were there were multiple parts of her answer, but mainly she was saying that when she started in porn, it was possible to become a Ginger Lynn or to become a, I don't know, who are the other big porn actresses we should know, a Tracy Lords, right? Like it was possible to achieve a level of fame and create a career for yourself and now that's not really the case she was saying like now imagine if you were to enter the porn industry you have maybe a month two months of like really being on top and then what do you do after that there there is no there's no um infrastructure the way that it there used to be and she all she said that she felt like she got to do real acting, even though they were pornography that, you know, the scripts and the directors actually wanted her to act. That is so strange. I mean, I can I can see how pornography as a field, as a genre is very oversaturated right now. 
but you can still find and maintain stardom. You just have to be at a high caliber of performance and appearance. And I think a lot of the features that determine those qualities are probably out of your control. Just there's, you know, a lot of chance to it. Yeah, I mean, I really don't know that much about the industry now or, or then to to make comparisons. I just, this is just what she said. And, yeah, and yeah. So, um, but anyway, what? How did you think she was in this movie? I think she just did just fine, especially considering the material she was working with. Uh, I think it does require a very extensive level of skill and professionalism to work with a script of this caliber uh that's that's the most i can say you know like you're kind of dissuading people from watching this movie yeah and i, I am I, i'm kind of surprised that if you go on imdb this movie only has three reviews i didn't think it was that obscure like i it would think the, hey put this into perspective it has the same star rating as frozen scream I'm not saying that the star rating is is inaccurate. I'm just saying I would have thought that more people would have seen this movie. Um, it's not that old. It's from 1992. It's got relatively known actors in it. It's released by AIP, who made other films that you know are at least talked about and appreciated. Um, it's not an expensive movie to get. I, I'm just I'm just surprised not more people have seen it. I think part of the problem too is how do you follow up elves? Well, it's I mean, it, I don't think anyone involved was involved with elves. It's no, just the same absolutely not, but it's just same, same studio, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think Elves was 1989, so this is around the same time period. But could you see some of the the AIP uh, requisite ingredients here. Yeah, but this movie clearly had a lower budget than Elves. Or at least they had a a harder time hiding it than Elves. I think that that's the key. Um, we're going to get into this, but I think a lot of sets are reused. Um, a lot of... Uh, moments that could have been kind of action-packed are cut short it's it feels odd when you're watching it anything else we should discuss before we get into the plot i mean there's not a lot of remarkable things here to discuss like i couldn't i couldn't hum a note of the score to you it's just utterly forgettable visually the movie is not really interesting as we said it's written and directed by rick sloan who's most famous, I think, or infamous for Hop Goblins, as well as the Vice Academy movies, uh, which Ginger Lynn is also in, by the way. Yeah, um, there, it looks like a lot, of, um, a lot of recurring talent appear in Rick Sloan's films. Yeah, I like this. IMDb calls him a cinematic jack of all trades. All right. Yep. <laughs> this this no. is the most... 
This is the most backhanded compliment. It says he'll never win any special awards for his admittedly cheap and cheesy, low-budget independent movies. But he nonetheless deserves some respect for weathering the storm of lots of harsh critical notices and cranking out a sizable number of films. I wonder if this movie could have been better if they were able to raise more capital. Like, think about it. Think about this film and The Being, right? They're both made by um, amateur screenwriters. (laughs) Uh, They both starred a ridiculous amount of actors from the pornography industry. But one of them got significantly more money than the other for production. Hey, The Being had three Oscar winners in its cast. You're right. Maybe maybe they aren't that similar. And, you know, I think all of the problems here are with the script. Yes. I think think anything else could have been salvaged. But I think the script is also what makes this movie fun. So with that said, let's play the trailer and then we'll get into it, into this beautiful story. Coming soon from AIP Home Video. Ginger Lynn Allen. And Wings Hauser, star of Beastmaster 2 and Bedroom Eyes 2 in the supernatural erotic thriller, Mind, Body, and Soul. Oh my God. After witnessing a bizarre satanic ritual conducted by her boyfriend, Brenda Carter discovers that her seemingly perfect life has become a terrifying nightmare. Detective, I don't know who these people were, but I'm not one of them. Hi, I'm John Stockton, criminal defense attorney. I think you're innocent. I'd like to help you. Why is it that my case is so important to you? I lost somebody very close to me to a satanic cult. You are a betrayer. You are one who cannot be trusted. I have done nothing wrong. I terrorized her right before she left the prison like you asked. I choose to kill her. Stalked by a bloodthirsty cult as its next sacrifice, she must confront the dark force of its demonic god or be consumed by its power. It's a big bad world out there. People get hurt. I just don't know about this stuff. I'm skeptical especially when it comes to fortune tellers with neon signs in their window. Welcome to her nightmare. (laughs) Ginger Lynn Allen and Wings Hauser star in Mind, Body, and Soul. Coming soon from AIP Home Video. I love AIP trailers. They're the they're logo. so good. The logo is so 80s. Oh god, yeah. Uh it looks like something you'd see on the running man. Yeah, I can see that. I think that is that has to be the first trailer I've ever seen with simulated rape baked right into it. Oh yeah, it AIP shows that scene. AIP did not shy away from any such content in their trailers. 
I understand why they use the word erotic for erotic, you know, thriller, but uh, it's this this is not an erotic film. No, there really isn't anything. I mean, we see lots of topless women, but that's it. It it I doesn't guess if have that's all it takes. You know, this this is the film for you. Yeah, it's just like uh all right, I won't get into that. Um but anyway, we start with Brenda. This is the Ginger Lynn Allen character and her fiance, or no, it's her boyfriend, her boyfriend Carl. They are celebrating their 90-day anniversary. And Carl is saying that you know, they're on this cliff overlooking the city. It's very romantic. And he's saying how much he cares about her. And he says he's a member of this group of friends that he wants her to be a member of, too. But he seems to think she might not be OK with this because he's like, there's something I've got to share with you. And he says he's going to take her tonight to meet them. Carl is played by an actor I'm not familiar with named Jesse K or Kai. I think he is the worst actor in the movie. That is a bold statement, but you might be right. He is terribly wooden and awkward. But anyway, all right. So they go. He he takes her to meet his friends. And as soon as they walk in. It's like a red room with skulls on the wall and a giant pentagram at the front. And everyone is dressed in black robes. And Brenda is like, why is everyone dressed in black? And Carl says it's part of the ceremony. We should add that all of these satanic rituals happen in the same small tiny suburb but probably like two bedroom one bath suburban house (laughs) and this is even after the police have raided it once they have other ceremonies there yeah they just keep they just keep going back (laughs) it is really it really took me aback Uh, but anyway so what would you do if you were in brenda's situation all right listen i i have not yet had the opportunity to groom a girlfriend into joining my satanic cult. But if I were to go about it, I probably would have gradually built her up to it rather than just straight bring her to a sacrifice. I feel like yep. there is a better way to approach this than indoctrinate her. Yep. I, I think I could agree with that. So is this a weakness of the script or a flaw of the character? <laughs> I think it can be both. Could be both. Yeah. I mean, this is, you've got to get us to the premise, right? Which is that Brenda is totally naive and yet is somehow being chased by a satanic cult. I will say this about the film. It doesn't feel like there's much filler. No, no. This, there's I, always it, something going on. And I feel like that is an AIP hallmark is like, there's always something. So there's a leader up front and he says uh, he has like a booming voice. He has a black mask on over his face. Um, And he says, I see we have a newcomer. And he is overseeing as this girl is tied up spread eagle to the pentagram. And 
he of course rips open her robe to bare her breasts and everyone starts to chant and this is the most pitiful satanic chant i've ever heard yeah no this this cult in general is the worst satanic cult i've ever seen committed to film the outside chant- of this really cool deer statue with the bones and the antlers and the bleeding eyes right everything else about this cult is lame they have tiki torches set up around the stage man yeah it's like that charlottesville march (laughs) and and i think the chant is just like one one sound it's like oh the grunt (laughs) (laughs) they couldn't have they couldn't have put in some latin or you know (laughs) Like you can go on online and find satanic scripture that you could read. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the supreme leader starts touching the victim with this um, curvy toy knife. It looks like the one Chucky uses in Child's Play, right? It's like got a wiggly blade. And Brenda's kind of starting to freak out a little bit. She's she's looking to Carl and being like, what's going on? And then suddenly, just in time, the cops show up and they like gas the place. And Bro, for- it looks like they pull up into the parking lot of a 7-Eleven. Yet, you know, this this is happening in a, a nice, nice suburban neighborhood. But what I'm really confused by is, is we're led to believe that the cops have been after this group for years that they've been chasing them and the group has managed to evade them at every turn. But here where they've got the entire group in a house and they're surrounding them, somehow everybody but Brenda escapes. It's because the, the cult master drops a ninja smoke bomb and keeps, (laughs) keeps the police from following them as they all stumble out. One of them knocks into a, I thought the I thought the police gassed it. No, the police didn't gas it. It was the cult master. He dropped like a ninja smoke bomb. Okay, all right. So that adds a little clarity. My my favorite part of the scene though is when all of the Satanists are stumbling to get off the soundstage. This faux brick wall, which is very clearly just a painted piece of cardboard, gets pushed by one of them and uh, just starts wiggling around as they all stampede out for freedom. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen a film where so many rooms are clearly the same room repurposed. But anyway, so they bring Brenda into the police station and the girl who was going to be sacrificed identifies her because they put them in the same room. They suspect Brenda is one of the people who wanted to sacrifice this girl and they put them in a room together. Would this actually be done? Mm, no, they would do like a one of those lineups where the victim would be behind a like piece of glass, one way glass, and then they would pick them out of a lineup. No, so of I course- don't know, man. Maybe this is like a really small town. They don't got access to all that, but you know, actually, even without that, I think modern police departments have a system like an app on their phone where they can or, or on their computers where they can pull random photos that look like the like the potential suspect 
and put it in a faux lineup for a victim to pick out. That is also an option. Well, instead, they just the the victim is able to point to Brenda and scream, oh, my God, that's her. And Brenda's like, of course, it's me. I was there. Like, I'm not denying being there, but I had nothing to do with this cult. And um, she tells them about her boyfriend and they're like, we checked him out. There's no such person. And she's like, what are you telling me that he was lying to me for the past three months? It's like these people are 16 and they think three months is like a significant milestone. (laughs) Oh, maybe it was in 1992. Well, she she takes the detective to the boyfriend's apartment, which she also lives in. And we see him up in the window looking out and he dramatically throws this candelabra on the ground and lights the place on fire. Candelabra makes it sound a lot fancier than what it be. It's a mannequin hand with some wax on the fingertips. (laughs) Well, whatever it, it is impressive enough to cause the entire apartment to explode in a manner of seconds. Are yeah, we they suppo- actually blew that apartment up. Are we supposed to think he's still in there? That's what I was led to believe. Like, uh, he has no time to escape, but spoiler no. alert, he does somehow. And but yeah, he, he no run out or anything. He just casually stands there. I, mean, I, can, I can tell you, whoever was in charge of stagecraft for this film was really proud of this candle prop because they use it multiple times. Yeah. Well, at this moment, after the dramatic explosion, credits roll. And then when we resume the film, Brenda is in jail. Why would she be in jail? So if she's in jail, that means she likely got charged for something. I I don't know what state this is. Maybe they have a statute on the books for uh, unregistered religious gathering. <laughs> <laughs> well, she conveniently has a single cellmate who unfortunately looks really similar to her. And uh, she's like, they haven't given me a public defender yet. Like on shows like Law and Order, the defender is always like there immediately. Which way is it? Like, what's more real? I I would not try to to ground this movie in any sort of reality because you have this investigator character that was just introduced also happens to be the warden of the prison. He's also her parole officer, and also her parole officer. Yeah, and. Uh, I could maybe see some really weird shit happening like that in like Hicktown, USA, population 25, but not in anywhere else in the country. Well, the the room where he interrogates her is also the room that seems to operate as his office. And it's also where she meets with the defense attorney. Yes. And they don't even try to hide it, I think, right? The the smoking kills poster is still yeah, on the there's wall. A, yeah, there's a big poster that says smoking kills. I yeah. thought that was a really odd prop. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be a joke because the investigator is chain smoking almost the entire film. Oh well it was lost on me then. Oh uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's just the, the <laughs> that's the deep the deep uh 
complicated nature of the script of mind body and the soul. uh the subtle irony yeah it's far too subtle for me far too subtle so her her defense attorney finally shows up this is wings hauser of course um and as you heard in the trailer he's like you know i think you're innocent and uh he says you know you've got to trust somebody so trust me and he's gonna post bail for her and let her come stay at his house okay can we just ruin this now I mean, can I we, think we, if if you watch the movie, it's going to be ruined for you immediately. Yeah. Uh, so, spoiler, he's the cult master. You will know it within five seconds of meeting him. Yep. It, this character is slimy. I don't even think they tried to to hide it at all under any sort of like false altruism. I don't know. I mean, even when he's dressed in the robes with the black mask, you can still tell it's Wings Hauser because he has certain mannerisms that like he always points at the camera, for example. He's and, also a big guy. Yeah. Like, he's a big guy with like, you know, distinctive arms. I, I don't know. But it, as soon as I saw the, the, the cult master, I'm like, all right, that's Wings Hauser. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew it immediately. And, and so will any intelligent viewer. Um, yeah. So I don't think we're spoiling anything. No, but it has to be said because it also puts a lot of his actions uh, in in the right framing. Well, she is she is understandably suspicious. And he's like, listen, I've been doing this my whole life. I pick up stray cats and I take them home. (laughs) That is not reassuring language. (laughs) No, no. Well, like, what would you do if you're her, though, right? Stay in prison or go home with weird skeevy lawyer well i find it unbelievable that she has no friends yeah i guess she doesn't have a life outside of this movie huh no and her only uh human connections are her ex-boyfriend the lawyer and her cellmate who she was in the cell with for like an hour just accept it well anyway she is um he posts bail for her and she's getting her things together and this guard comes in and rapes her right there on the floor with the door open. It, it's actually an incredibly uncomfortable scene. Like it goes on for a really long time, but it's also stupid looking because they, they both still have their clothes on. And he's clearly just like grinding against her leg. I don't know. I was really torn about this scene. And it's incredibly unnecessary. And oh, it's yeah. never referenced again in the rest of the film outside of I, I did what you ordered and made her miserable. All right. No, the, the, the cellmate, who his name is Rachel, by the way, comes in right away. And she's like, oh, my God, what's wrong? And, uh, and Brenda says, he raped me. And, but then she says, it's okay. I'm fine. Yeah, Brenda she, just shrugs it off, just like real life. Yep, never mentions it again. Yeah, uh, this is not a good start to this film. Maybe there's a mindset that I just can't, I just can't grasp where it's like, it's okay, it's not real, it's just a movie. I don't know. Well, during the, the only importance of this rape to the plot is that Brenda is able to pull a medallion off of the guard's neck that is just like one Carl used to wear her boyfriend it's a pentagram and 
she shows it to Rachel and she asked Rachel if she'll keep an eye on the guard while she's on the inside and report back to her, which seemed like a very odd request. Yeah, not quite sure how that's going to work out, but how are you supposed to report to somebody when you're stuck in prison? I don't know, but anyway, they get back to to Wings's house and he wants her to write down every detail that she can remember about her relationship with Carl. And one thing I started to pick up on in this scene is he always calls her little like denigrating pet names like kiddo or sweetie or sport. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yes. It's weird, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, there's nothing normal about this guy. All right. So she starts to write these notes for him. And she tells us that the first time she ever noticed something unusual about Carl is when they were in bed together. And he asks her if she'll drip candle wax on him and that it's really pleasurable. And so we see her doing it. Is the only point of this scene to like show Ginger Lynn naked and give us something kinky going on? Probably. I mean, the candle wax is so vanilla nowadays, but I can't imagine it was that kinky back then no i don't think it was shocking in 1992 like oh no he's a satanist because he likes mild pain <laughs> yeah i mean in 1992 i was seven so i didn't I, I didn't have like my finger on the pulse of the sexual kink community but <laughs> i think that this was relatively minor in general the satanists in this film are just absolute pushovers, right? They get raided by the police. What's the first thing they do? Run away. Yep. So while she is writing this, she's interrupted. Carl shows up and he says, I heard you were thinking about writing about me. That's not a good idea. This door has a peephole and she just answers it. She doesn't even live here. Nope. Just opens it up for the man that is supposedly endangering her life. And he's telling her how that night that he took her to the sacrifice, that was a test and she failed. And then he just says, I'll keep in touch. And he leaves. Yeah, I think this actor's performance is absolutely ridiculous. It's it's so wooden. And yet the things he's saying are so dramatic. It it's a very weird performance. So meanwhile, Rachel in jail has the most awkward conversation where she tries to glean information about the medallion from the corrupt guard. She's like, I noticed that medallion you wear. Where'd you get it? I just like it. I'd like to buy one like it. And Why uh, would you put yourself in the crosshairs like this? I don't know. Especially after you just found out that he raped your friend. Yeah. But anyway, he, he says it's missing and that she asked too many damned questions. And so she gives up, I guess. Brenda calls the police and lets them know that Carl was just there. And the, the detective slash parole officer is like, why didn't you stall him? Like, what cop says this? Are you asking me or are you asking like Rick Sloan? I guess I was asking you, but are you um, shouting it at the world like into the sky? Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
this this movie defies reason you can't you can't look for explanations behind almost any of the motivations behind any of the characters all right i will try to stop trying uh, yes you gotta turn your brain off the movie's called mind body and soul not you know logic rationality and and reason right you, you don't get all you don't get those things well, I don't know if it means anything, but later in the film, we find out that the the Satanist will, they can't take your mind, but they can come after your body and soul. So this just sounds like some bullshit someone wrote down. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that means. Anyway, Wings shows up and he's really angry that she called the police. He's like, what the hell's the matter with you? Like, you are supposed to call me first. He says, you out of everyone should know that you can't rely on the goddamn police department. To be fair, that's probably how most defense attorneys would uh, would think, you know, never call the police. But his reaction is uh, awful. It's awful. Yeah. Again, he tr- he is very dismissive, mansplainy, and paternalistic paternalistic and words are hard words are hard man words are hard today well let's just move on to the next scene there's there's another cult ceremony going on and the cult leader patronizing is... <laughs> patronizing <laughs> that's the word i was thinking of. all right, all right anyway, so, start over all right we good yeah so there there's another cult meeting and the prison guard is there and he says he did exactly what they told him to that that he terrorized her he terrorized brenda before she left prison and that will make her easier to control and someone asked what they should do about the other girl who asked all the questions about the medallion and somebody i think the cult leader says we will grant her her freedom. She'll be easier to control on the outside. Why? What? You're not supposed to ask that. Okay, I'm you sorry. just went over it. <laughs> well, Carl wants to kill Brenda, but everybody votes because that's how things are decided in a satanic cult. It is a democracy. I think that's refreshing. Maybe it's a critique on uh, Christianity or or like Catholicism where everything's run by, you know, the central Pope. No, Satan is a true Democrat. Anyway, they, they take a vote not to kill her. And the leader says that they're going to punish her in the usual way with our power, not our hands. They literally just use their hands. Yep. They, we see them start to sacrifice another girl. They, they rip open her gown and, cut a pentagram into her breast before slitting her throat. And we see that that has some kind of weird effect on Brenda and Rachel. They're like tossing in their sleep. And we find out the next day that Brenda had a dream about this sacrifice and that she saw it in her mind. And Rachel had the same dream. So do you think that the cult wants Brenda and Rachel to be having these visions of the sacrifice? Yeah, my my interpretation was this is like a some kind of nightmare spell. They just wanted to terrorize both of them for standing up or at least not well in in 
Brenda's case standing up against the cult and in her friend's case, guess helping Brenda try to figure out what's going on. Asking too many questions. Asking too many questions. But it's just like they could come up with a way to terrorize them that didn't involve giving them a glimpse into their secret society. I don't think they really did that so much. I think it was just like giving them bad nightmares. Just anyhow. Okay. Bad juju. (laughs) So there is a very weird scene. Yes. This is the weirdest scene of the entire film with the game, right? Yes. With the game. Hauser is playing some, uh, board game made out of a revolving lazy Susan involving three shells with an object you hide under one of them uh-huh and then rotate the table uh-huh and he says that this game it's an ancient game it's been played for centuries and that rumor has it there's a spell that was cast on it to make it impossible to win he said that royalty used to play and if someone lost they would cut off a finger and both of them play it multiple times and can't seem to find where the object is, even though they just put it there. Yeah, you put it there, and then you can spin the table, pay attention to what shell it's under, and then you should just build, pick it up, and that's it. Yeah, so at one point, Wings goes away, and uh, Brenda lifts up one of the shells, and she sees a finger underneath it. Uh, but um, it, it disappears. You could just put a shell... Or you could just put the the token under the middle shell and then rotate the table <laughs> and then you can just look under the middle shell. So what do you think the purpose of this scene is? And there's definitely okay, so the intention is character building, trying to build up some kind of like positive relationship between this the defense attorney and his client. But it's you know, obviously getting inappropriate. It's been inappropriate since the beginning when she was living in his his house. I feel like that's something that would get you disbarred really quick. Yeah, it's it's also strange because so the day first he yells at her for calling the police. Then they have this little intimate moment with the game. And then the next morning he apologizes for yelling at her in front of the police and says he wants to make sure she's not mad anymore. It seemed like a weird sequence of relationship evolution. At least he's trying, giving the appearance of trying. I guess. Oh. Well, Brenda gets a phone call from Joan Lake, who has a talk show on TV, and she wants to have Brenda on as a guest. And Brenda hesitates for like a second, and then she says, nope. People need to know about this. So I'm going to come. I'm going to come on. I like and, how she doesn't even consider how the defense attorney would act. No, doesn't even think about it or law enforcement. Right. Well, law enforcement can't stop her, I guess. I mean, even though it's a supposedly active investigation, nobody's really taking it too seriously. No. Well, they've been after these people for years and, you know, they haven't made any progress in the case yet. So. But anyway, um, Rachel shows up at the house. How does she know where the defense attorney lives? Asking how is just as bad as asking why. Okay, I'm learning. 
I'm learning how to how to watch a, a Rick Sloan film. Um, but Rachel was like, uh, they just released me. I don't know why. I didn't ask questions. You know, the corrupt guard just let her go. And she wants to stay there. She has nowhere to go. I probably shouldn't ask this, but in the real world, a guard wouldn't be able to just release a prisoner, right? No. All right. Wanted to make sure. So the detective calls Brenda. He needs her help. And she goes out to meet him on this cliffside road. And there's a body with a sheet over it. And the detective pulls it back to show her that it's headless. And like she freaks out and is visibly upset. And she's like, why did you want me to see this? And the detective's just like, what can you tell me about it? Do you think that the detectives would show her this? Oh, if they were, they wouldn't do it right at the scene. They would probably show her photographs and only after a uh, very extensive warning about how graphic the images are going to be. They would want to make sure they have the witnesses full cooperation. Well, Brenda's like, I don't know anything, but I did have this dream about a girl being beheaded. And the detective says, that's more than a coincidence. I need you to come down to headquarters. Yes, because black magic is admissible in court. Yeah. So we don't really see the whole conversation. We basically just see her at the police station and then Wings Hauser shows up and says, you know, stop harassing her and they leave. I'm not sure why either of these scenes are here, but they are. So they get back to Wings's house and uh, Rachel is there. This is where she tells us that she had the same dream. And Brenda asks Wings if Rachel can stay. And he's, he's not happy about it, but he's like, do whatever you want. So the detective is, is talking to the corrupt guard. And he's like, why did you release this girl? And he says, I just thought she was ready to be released. And the detective basically says, like, it's a good thing you have tenure because I can't do anything to you. I didn't know that police officers had no, tenure or, or, or guards. They don't. I don't. Do you think they did at one time? Mm, I mean, maybe like an unspoken tenure where maybe your seniority would get you out of a lot of shit, but nothing on paper. But hey, I mean, I don't need to explain to you the problems of the police policing the police, right? Right. All right, I'm going to skip over the next couple of scenes and just get to the TV episode, unless you think we need to talk about any of that. The only thing we need to establish is that Brenda has the amulet, and she's starting to recognize that there might be something more to it than, than it just being a trinket. Yeah, so she's carrying it on her um, when she goes to the TV studio to record her episode. For and some reason, Hauser <laughs> and uh, and Brenda, dude, I don't even know this dude's name. What what is the defense attorney's name? John Wings. His name is Wings now. So Wings and, and Brenda go back to the to the satanic house. And there's just like this line of caution tape draped over the back wall to let you know it's a crime scene. Yeah. <laughs> but, he, <that's... laughs> 
<laughs> it's supposed to be there to keep people from entering and it's just draped across the wall he he takes her there to ostensibly to see if she remembers anything but i think he's actually trying to like scare her out of you know going on tv yeah the, the only thing noteworthy about this scene is uh you get a really cool close-up of the deer bust with the antler eyes the bleeding antler eyes that's really cool well and in case you hadn't figured it out um wing stands in the exact same spot the cult leader did and he's he asks brenda where everyone was standing and she's like well the cult leader was standing right where you're standing he's like really right where i'm standing (laughs) i i don't know if this is supposed to be like subtle foreshadowing or um beating us over the head like are you stupid and haven't figured this out yet like i i don't know i don't know what that that is supposed to be about um so the the tv show right before the interview we're introduced to what i think is the best character of the film this uh this like Tura? sorceress tura yes She's a priestess priestess a My priestess bad. of black magic sorry I, I labeled her the wrong class right these are this ranking is important well, I mean, the difference is whether she dumps into wisdom or charisma. Oh, okay. You're beyond me at this point. That, that's it's D and D. Don't worry about it. Keep going. I figured. Yeah. Um. So yeah, she she is going to be on the show as well, and she tells Brenda, "You are a betrayer. You are one who cannot be trusted. I have more power than you. You do not understand the powers of the dark side." And Prinda is like, I actually like this reaction. She's like, I don't even know you. Why are you saying this stuff to me? <laughs> this is my favorite reaction of the whole film. When she says that? Yeah. Yeah. Because um, it, it really is like, like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? Um, but on the air, Brenda tells her story. And the priestess says that when she saw the human sacrifice... It was probably just a symbolic sacrifice that they they wouldn't have actually hurt anybody. And so Joan Lake, the interviewer, is like, well, I heard there was this headless body discovered. Like, that's more than, you know, symbolic. And, uh, and Tura says that might have been a group of teenagers experimenting with something they learned from a heavy metal album. In case you were unclear whether the satanic panic was still ongoing. This is just a, an example of Rick Sloan's complicated world building. There's very clearly two different sects of Satanism that we're introduced to here, and maybe more if we were to keep going to explore this franchise through additional films. But like, obviously, this priestess is not practicing the same form of Satanism that the defense attorney and his cronies be. Yeah, and it's it's. I mean, it's kind of odd because. Like she recognizes the pentagram uh, medallion at one point and says like, oh, you're a believer. And um, so she she has some things in common with them, but she doesn't seem to be associated with them at all. During this interview, she says to Brenda that if a spell has been placed on her, which probably it probably has because that's why she's having visions, that it can be very difficult to break. And that you must believe in the power for spells to work for you. And she says, I can sense that you do not. 
She says, you're an enemy of the power. You will have to seek help elsewhere. She's almost like a satanic, like, ascetic. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. While Brenda's there, I guess it's important to say that Carl goes over to uh, the lawyer's house and steals, I think, a pair of panties. Yes. Like it, it's some kind of clothes. And uh, so that's going to be important later. But meanwhile, one of the assistants at the TV station, this is Sean, he volunteers to drive Brenda home. But on the way, the prison guard starts chasing them in his car. So we have the requisite AIP car chase scene and shootout as he shoots at Brenda and Sean. And she thinks to use the pentagram. So she basically holds on to it and stares at it really hard. And the guard's car goes off a bridge and falls in a river. We need to, to elaborate a little bit on this car chase. So first off, this assistant, what is his name? Do we have a name for this guy? Sean. Sean. Sean is a very convenient character, isn't he? Just kind of shows up out of nowhere is willing oh, yeah, to do whenever all the anyone nice needs a ride someplace. Yeah, you know, and Sean, Sean is ready to go. This man is driving like a like a like an 80s Cadillac sedan sort of thing. Oh man, it's uh and now it's full of bullet holes because the prison guard during the chase is just firing a I'm assuming like a service revolver at them the entire time in broad daylight. The the scenes of the prison guard shooting out his window is shot in a completely different location from the car chase. It's like very obvious. <laughs> and and Sean takes all of this in stride. Like yeah, he he is unfazed. He's like, "Wow, you know, that was that was intense. Let me let me take you home." And continues to hang around with these two for the rest of the movie. I I mean, you know why? You know why he drove her home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we know yeah. why. Yeah, you know why. So he's in it. <laughs> he's committed. Well, so they get back to the house and Rachel they tell Rachel what happened. And Rachel takes the pentagram and she's like, I can use all the protection I can get. And uh, Brenda is like, uh, I guess you can have it. Like she didn't exactly offer it to her, but Rachel decides that she's going to go see Tura because maybe she can help her. And Brenda's like pissed. She's like, you're taking this too seriously. And it's, I should be the one who's scared. She has like a fit because she's supposed to. It's it's like she's jealous that she should be the one who's scared. I don't know. I thought this that her acting or maybe the writing was really weird. Uh, it's, it's the writing. It's a weird thing to gatekeep over. Like she's yeah. trying to hog all the victimization to herself. Yeah. Relax, girls. There's enough for both of you. Right. Uh, anyway, they look up Tura in the phone book. And Brenda says, good luck getting there. And Rachel turns to Sean and she's like, how about you? Will you drive me? He's like, sure. (laughs) Well, she isn't going to sleep with me. Sure, I'll drive you. Like, I just got (laughs) shot at by a a weird Satanist, but um, sure, I'll take you to see a witch in the, in the, they say it's in the bad area of town. Yeah. Like, I may have just watched a woman 
drive a man off the road using the power of Satan. But yeah, let's let's uh, let's go drive to the hood. I think this coming up is my favorite scene. They get to Tura's and she offers Brenda. No, she offers um, Rachel uh, an herbal tea. And she says it's not for thirst. It's for the ritual. And first she offers her a tarot card reading and then a love potion. And eventually Rachel comes down and says, I, there's a hex on me and I need it to be broken. And uh, Tura's like, oh, you think someone has cast a spell on you? She says protection doesn't come for free. And so she takes whatever money that uh, Rachel has. Um, and she says she's going to summon the powers from the other side. And this involves doing a topless dance and flapping her arms around like a bird or a bat. Uh, if I was a demon from beyond, I'd show up. Yeah? Yeah. yeah well, I, okay, so I, I looked into what else she has been in. Oh, yeah? She actually has a, uh, she had a career in stripping and burlesque and show dancing. Okay, so that I makes sense. This was just an exam. This was just an excuse for her to show off some of her talent. Well, it works because this demon appears behind her, like superimposed on the screen. I, it, nobody uses this effect anymore, but I actually kind of like it. Yeah, it's I actually cool. think it's, it's a cool effect. Um, yeah. Does it work in like HD though? Maybe that's why we don't see it anymore. I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, I did. I watched this on VHS. I guess you watched a VHS rip, probably. Yeah, there's no way this was re-released. This is a rip. Yeah. Um. So, what do you think of the demon? He's in makeup. Yeah, it's clearly like a Halloween, <laughs> like Hall one of those Halloween makeup kits. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's superimposed, so it's not really that important, right? Yeah, I thought he looked fun. I, I yeah, thought he was kind of cool fine. looking demon. Yeah. So. He's like, why have you summoned me from beyond? What's and, funny and, is they summon this demon to like provide a solution to magical curses. And all this dude gives her is like an herbal remedy and an old nail from underground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thanks for nothing, demon. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like, I will help you bring me these ingredients. And and Tura's like, I have them all here. And he says, bind them together in a cloth and uh, it will bring you restful nights of sleep. And he also presents them with a coffin nail from the depths of the earth to use when you fear the power from the other side. And this is where he says that they can't take your mind, but they will go after your body and soul. This nail never comes back into the script. Nope. Neither does the bundle nope. of herbs. No, I'm assuming it was under her pillow or something. <laughs> I don't, and none of this comes up again, um, no. except for he also tells her to beware of the man that bears ill testimony, which I don't think is a proper use of the word bears. Um, but anyhow. To be uh, fair, his first language probably isn't English. Okay. You know, it's probably infernal or Latin, something like that. All right. Well, thank you, script doctor. Leland. Um, Rachel, uh, Rachel goes back and her and Brenda have another fight about whether Rachel is taking all of this too seriously. <laughs> she just used the power of Satan to 
to propel a man to drive off a bridge. Are you taking this too seriously? Like, Brenda, you just killed a man with Satan magic. Right. And I, I mean, in her defense, Rachel was like, I think you've forgotten what just happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the side effect of delving into black magic. If you're not properly trained, there's like side effects. Uh, that maybe affect your short-term memory. Maybe. Maybe. But Rachel's, Rachel's like, so where do I sleep? And Brenda's like, you can take the couch. <laughs> <laughs> she just comes off really bitchy in these scenes. I'm not sure why. She's also, I don't know why, but she's dressed like Dr. Quinn medicine woman in this scene. <laughs> the, the, even though this is a 90s movie, the fashion is incredibly 80s. I feel like I feel like uh, Lynn brought her own wardrobe to the film. There's just so many different outfits. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if everyone in this movie dressed themselves. Oh, you're probably right because the the assistant Sean is wearing an absolutely awfully fitting, uh, like over button down over shirt, and it would make sense that he dressed himself. <laughs> Yeah, but these like big oversized shirts were that that was the fashion like late 80s, early 90s. That was in like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. Anyway, I don't know if there's a costume designer on this movie and I'm not going to bother to look it up. But <laughs> um, so Brenda and Sean go walking by the pool and they kiss and they make out and then they go to bed together. It's a very fast-moving relationship. And we see that Carl is doing some sort of spell with the panties that he stole. And he's chanting some things and stabbing them with a crystal. And Brenda feels this intense pain in her chest a few times, like she's being stabbed. And then that's it. I don't think it's a crystal. I think it's just a really fake-looking knife. Well, whatever it is, I, I didn't really like I didn't really understand what the point was. Like, let me cause my arch enemy a few moments of pain and I mean, not tell her like it was something, me. That seems like something petty uh, this guy would do. This seems in character. I guess. What surprises me at the cultist, the cultist leader specifically said, leave her alone. And then we have two different cult members fucking with her life. Yeah. Well, we know that these are both rogue actors to some degree. Either way, uh, Sean is very understanding that. Uh, oh, yeah. His new girlfriend is just being hit with a bad bout of black magic. And yep. they decide to call it a night early. The next day, Wings tells her that the parole officer needs to see her. Oh, who's also the detective, who's also the prison warden. And so she goes in to talk with him and uh, he's like, we found this guard in the crashed car. Like, what do you know about this? And she tells him what happened and he believes her. But he says, you've got to keep me informed. And he says they found a dagger, a human skull and a crucible in the car. And they also found some wet paperwork that might have a list of names in it. 
he basically says like this is you know ordinary stuff for a satanist to have yeah that sounds pretty ordinary for a satanist to have a crucifix yep i guess you just hold it upside down so the the movie is ramping up into excitement mode now um carl shows up to the lawyer's house and he sneaks into the shower and kills rachel but he thought she was brenda she's he's like you were supposed to be brenda (laughs) you're Um, the wrong blonde white girl (laughs) right and uh i did like i said they look remarkably similar and he goes out to the living room and he finds Brenda's writing, the story she's been writing about him. And, and he says, you can't imagine the mistake you've made in writing this. But then he just leaves it there. He doesn't try to steal it. Well, what's he supposed to do? Destroy the computer she wrote it on the whole film? I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I don't know. If he like threw it over on the floor. This was before people understood how computers worked, I guess. Well, also, I guess maybe he's privy to the whole plan of, like, finding out what she knows. Again, don't hurt her. Goes to the house to kill her. Yeah. While Carl is there, Sean shows up. And Carl doesn't waste much time in attacking him. And there's a ridiculous fight scene complete with, like, dubbed punching noises. And Brenda gets home in the middle of it uh, just in time to see Sean stab Carl in the stomach. So he's dead. And Sean is really like fucked up over having killed someone. He's like, he, he squirts a few tears and says like, what have I done? If he was a better actor, this would actually be like a humanizing moment, but it just comes off as kind of annoying. At at least someone's trying to show like a realistic reaction to stress and trauma. Unlike the, uh, awful early scene in the beginning of the film all right yeah that's fair so he wants to call the police but brenda because wings yelled at her before she's going to call him first and so this really upsets sean and he said he says he just needs to be alone he's going to go home and when the police get there uh she should tell them that he's ready to make a statement wings gets there and he's like yeah i talked to the police um but here drink some wine and he keeps like pouring glasses down her mouth until she passes out. I'm pretty sure it's drugged. I assumed so. Yeah. And when she comes to, she is strapped up on the pentagram in the, the same room where all the other occult activity has taken place. And she sees that Wings is the cult leader. And, oh no, big surprise. All right. And oh, she is very surprised. Um, but we are not. And she's like, why? Why did you invite me to your house? And he says, I needed to know what you knew. But he asked the cult members to vote on whether to silence Brenda forever. And they all vote unanimously to silence her. And but right before she can be killed, Sean shows up again. He is really like any time the movie needs him someplace, he's there. He's the perfect boyfriend. Yep. He is carrying the, the pentagram um, medallion. And he says, I've come defended by your power, 
but the whole cult laughs at him, which I actually kind of like. Yeah, they should. <laughs> and Wings is like, yeah, it doesn't work if you don't believe in it. And like, we know you don't believe. And he takes it away and like throws it over his shoulder. I guess it just kind of lands at Brenda's feet. But it's close enough, I guess, that she can use its power because somehow she's able to psychically not knock the knife out of Wing's hands and knock him to the floor. And then Sean unstraps her and he throws a burning torch onto Wings and Wings erupts into flames immediately. Those, satan- those satanic robes are very flammable. Ah, that, yeah. It, you know, now they have to make like curtains to code with certain fire <laughs> retel- repellent. Uh, no such luck with satanic robes, I guess. I like to think that the priestess that we're introduced to halfway through the film is like the authentic, you know, sect of Satanism. And then whatever this lawyer is doing here is just completely off the cuff amateur nonsense. In a better film, they might have, um, like walked us through that. <laughs> right? I, I just I just can't imagine why you wouldn't have a flame retardant robe as a, a Satanist with a shrine with a ritual room full of tiki torches. Well, and, and apparently you're summoning demons. I'd imagine some of them are like fire enchanted, right? You would think you would think. Well, the, the whole building erupts pretty quickly. And as Sean points out, not even one of them tries to get out. So they must not be too afraid of fire. They don't even fight back. Again, this is they, this is the most pathetic Satanism cult ever. You have this whole thing going on at the front of your ritual. Your cult leader is being accosted, and they all just stand there and watch. Awful. It It, it, it is very pitiful. But then we get this wonderful final line where Sean says to Brenda, I didn't know you believed in the power. And she says, I didn't. What I believed in was you. Roll credits. (laughs) (laughs) So let's jump right into it. Will you give your final thoughts and a rating out of four for mind, body, and soul? I don't have much to say about this one. Uh, <laughs> Wings Hauser. This is the second film I've seen him in, but he's got a reputation uh, of being in, in some really bad films. And this is definitely zero for two at the moment. I, I'm not a big fan of this film. If you haven't seen Wings Hauser <laughs> in anything, uh, I, I would describe him as a... It's like a Gary Busey clone who prematurely escaped from his genetic reconstitution pod. He's not quite uh, as unhinged as Busey, but he does have this aura that's very distinctive. Like he could burst into rage at any moment. Yeah. Um, So I definitely think he was the right person to fill the role of this public defender. Uh, this movie again uh, as we stated in the in the beginning was probably salvageable with a with a better script but don't go into this expecting something the caliber of elves um i certainly didn't because i was prepped sort of prepped 
I didn't realize that this was done by the same guy who did Hobgoblins. I didn't even know the name of the guy who did Hobgoblins because I never cared to know. And now I've been burned. I've been burned by that. <laughs> well, I apologize for uh, introducing you to the magic that is Rick Sloan. So the positives. Um, I do appreciate that this film doesn't really have any lulls in the action. There's always something going on. You know, it's really bad when you watch uh, like a lame film from like the 70s and 90s where most of the script is just boring expositional dialogue about nothing. That's not the case here. Every scene is ridiculous and terrible for its own <laughs> unique reason. Uh, I think the priestess is the best character in the film. I wish they leaned on her a little bit more, but what little we're graced with is, is, uh, something that makes this movie a, a little more watchable. This is definitely a, uh, a contender for mystery science theater at home. If that is something that you do with your friends, not again, not as good as elves, but still pretty 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 far up there for for uh, riffing material but uh ultimately i i this is not a good film it just it had the talent is there the budget might not be there but i think with the better script it would have all came together it kind of hurts me to say this a little bit but i'm i'm just going to give this like one and a half stars i think that's totally fair I, I, this is not a good movie as we've made clear, but I do think it's a fun movie in the way that like most AIP movies are fun. You know, you have lots of, lots of quote unquote erotic scenes. Uh, you got car chases, you have police procedural, you have intrigue, you have satanic ceremonies, like it's like the Kmart version of all of those things, but you have them all in one movie. And as Leland said, there's no downtime. So like I was, I watched this twice in the last couple of weeks and I, I for the show and I, I was not bored um, watching it. I, I was along for the ride. I, the acting is not good, but it's that kind of like, enjoyably mediocre like you would catch watching law and order or something like it's not it's not gratingly bad except for carl he's terrible um wings hauser is his normal wings hauser self uh as i described a moment ago he feels like like bottled up rage being barely contained uh and i think he's really entertaining to watch uh, I like like satanic panic type stories and and seeing occult ceremonies and things, even if they're really inept ones um, like this. So because I think this movie's fun and because I think that it's an enjoyable watch, even if it's only to mock it, um, I'm going to give it two stars. So, um, yeah, that's it for mind body and soul uh next week we're doing a german exorcist ripoff called magdalena and the evil the the european exorcist ripoffs were like a dime a dozen they are all to some degree i think entertaining 
Um, they are all to some degree sleazy. I think this is one of the sleazier ones. Um, it's relatively hard to see. I have a Japanese VHS. I don't think it was ever released on an American VHS. Leland, do you know if um, this is available to stream anywhere? Yeah, but I'm not sure which version it'd be because there's just so many different ones. Um, it's on it's online in places. I just can't say which versions. Well, yeah, we'll do some research and talk to you about the various versions next week. Um, I think my Japanese VHS is uncut. I think it, it, it does have optical censoring, but I think in terms of the running time, it's completely uncut. So anyway, I think this will be fun. We haven't hit like an Exorcist ripoff yet, and it, it is definitely one of the sleazier sections of uh, the VHS world or the Euro exploitation world. So I'm looking forward to talking about it. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares, where I post everything that we do. Uh, Leland, any last words for this week? Thank you for your continued support. Uh, great. And please, uh, wherever you listen to us, rate, review, subscribe. We have some. Uh, we have a perfect five-star rating on, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now. So... Um, we really appreciate you all for doing that. Um, yeah, that's it for Mind, Body, and Soul. So join us next week for Magdalena and the Evil.